This podcast is brought to you by Sarin, the diamond industry reimagined. From dimension cut grading to galaxy inclusion mapping, and now the world's first fully automated AI-based forces grading. Sarin is the diamond technology leader. Welcome to the Rapport Diamond podcast. My name is Avi Kravitz. I'm the senior analyst and news editor at Rapport News. Happy New Year to everyone. Here's to a healthy and successful and safe 2021. And we're starting this year by taking a closer look at the one trend that really defined our lives over the past year, and that is technology. Um, But even before the pandemic, we kind of felt that the diamond and jewelry trade was slowly coming on board when it comes to digital engagement. But COVID really accelerated that trend, as we all know. So we want to explore what what that means for our industry moving forward. And that is the purpose of our technology podcast series that we're going to be recording and hosting over the next few weeks. And I think it's apt and appropriate that we begin our first episode of the series with the three guests that we have in our virtual studio. So firstly, I want to welcome Ben Smithy, who's the CEO of the Smithy Group, which is a consultancy on digital marketing and advertising solutions for various industries, but with a keen interest in the jewelry sector. So welcome, Ben. Is, is that a fair description of your company and what you do? Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, we're really focused on, on growth in the digital area. So everything from consulting to full service execution, uh, because we work with a lot of the small businesses and uh, medium sized businesses in the industry that need sort of that full support. That's what we, we offer to the industry. Perfect. Well, um, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, also joining us is Grant Mobley, who is the Trade Director at the Natural Diamond Council, which, as its name suggests, is responsible for promoting all things natural diamonds and enhancing the industry's message toward consumers. Grant, it's so great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Um, and rounding off our panel is Sam Carmiel, who is the founder of Ice Rock Diamonds, which is a supplier of beautiful stones and fine luxury jewelry for a range of clients and a company which, to my observation, really harnesses social media and digital marketing in an effective way to engage with his customer base. Um, Sam, you're based in LA, so um, the recording is a bit earlier for you than it is for us. So thanks for accommodating us and, um, and thanks for joining us. Sure. Thank you for having me. So welcome, gentlemen. And it's, uh, as I said, it's, it's such, a, such a pleasure to, to um, have this discussion with you and Happy New Year to all of you. Ben, I'd like to start with you because in a way you're, you're kind of an industry outsider looking in. Um, and there's a perception out there that the industry had had this kind of aha moment in 2020 as it was forced to really embrace digital when the pandemic hit. Um, w- was that the case from your from your observation? What what is your sense of the diamond and jewelry industry before and after COVID with regard to its readiness to embrace technology? Yeah, so um, I started in the industry in 2011, 2012, and it, always in the digital space. So I'd say that 
Um, it would be a little bit of a misnomer to say that it really the big shift happened at COVID uh, for people to be in in digital. I think that a lot of the you know same with any other adaptation and adoption cycles and curves. We had a lot of, and I'd say the majority of people interested and in starting to be in this digital space, even since 2011, 2012, when I got into the industry. Um, I will say the biggest thing is as COVID hit, it started to show the necessity of what a thriving and surviving business will need to use when it comes to digital across, across the board. Um, and it really brought some of like the later entrance to the space and the laggards in the space to understand its importance. Um, but I think the biggest shift when it comes to, to what COVID is going to show people is the necessity to, um, and, and honestly, the reliance of what digital really can be. I think people saw digital as part of this mix of media and all of this stuff, but they saw um, in a digital only world in a virtual only world, how powerful social digital, all of this, uh, these marketing and advertising channels can be to really grow their business. Um, and those that did it saw a great success. Mm, and I mean, we, we kind of throw out this, the, these terms, digital and embracing technology. And, you know, wh what does what does that actually mean? You know, what, what is a digital um, strategy for a company encompass? Is you know, is it is it just social media? Is it having a yeah. website? Is it, um, you know, what, what is the full gambit of being digitally um, relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And relevance is a great word because that's the value proposition is how, how can you be more relevant to your potential consumers? Uh, it's all of the above. I think we're starting to get in the stage where digital um, really gives you the competitive advantage of always on um, and across all the channels. So it's website, it's email, it's social media, it's Google search and display, it's paid advertising, it's, it's content creation, right? Social and digital I really see as a way of a content distribution method, the core base always comes back to brand and content, right? How strong can you build a brand? How strong can you create content? And then what is your strategy, both organically and paid to use digital, quote unquote, I'm using my air quotes here in my studio, um, of, of distributing that information across your potential target customers. So when I say digital and social, I'm really saying, what are these content distribution channels that we can use varying from website to social media across all the platforms, podcasts, videos, you name it. And, and I would imagine that then extends to to the to the physical location as well. You know that um, that uh, that 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 uh, one of the trends that I that I was seeing um, over the last few years is that um, stores are becoming a bit more digital, di digitally um, aware and savvy. That you have more 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 electric, you know more technology being used in store to to enhance that that customer experience. Yeah, 100%. I think that's the, the retail has really become that sort of first and last mile, right? And I think that when it comes to those, we start to read headlines of, you know, the retail is dead and all these other things, but retail still plays a major factor. And a lot of our retailers that we work with have had record years, um, even amongst COVID and being shut down for, you know, several weeks. So retail still has a, a, a really, really viable um appeal to the consumer. And I think that if you can make the, the experience, right, if we talk about CX or the customer experience journey, integrate with digital and make it more seamless with digital integrations inside the store, you're going to have a, a, a winning business model.
Mm. And um, I mean, I guess I guess COVID has um, forced everything to be online, and, and so it took away from that focus of of in store of the in store experience. Um, but um, you know, Grant, what has your been what has been your experience observing the industry from from uh, from the the Natural Diamond Council's point of view in terms of the the digital engagement of um, of the trade of um, you know both diamond and and jewelry companies um, through COVID, and uh, you know, to what extent was it accelerated? Um, was that engagement accelerated in the last year? So I think you know Ben is right in saying that it it, it definitely was accelerated, but people were already on board. I think that um, I think that you know when COVID started to happen, really it was a sink or swim moment for so many retailers and they, they were obligated to figure out um, how to do things differently. And I think that it really, the acceleration started to happen almost later. So when we got maybe into the summer, uh, that acceleration came when people realized how successful they could be. Um, I, I, th- I think that, you know, many retailers, uh, you know, and I'm speaking mostly for North America, they, probably did these things because they thought they were going to get a sale here or there. You know, it might, you know, help, uh, help them from doing no business at all. But then, uh, some of them quickly realized like, wait a second, you know, we can actually make real money here and be really successful. And the, you know, the consumers were, were responding to it and, you know, positively. And, uh, so, I mean, I think it absolutely accelerated it. I, but I think that, you know, now as, you know, obviously the pandemic is still, you know, uh, horrible all, all over the world. But when we do finally move out of it, I, I think that um, a lot of these changes that are that happened are, are going to stay. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I talk to retailers every day and, and like Ben said, it's pretty amazing how successful people have been this year um, in spite of everything that's been going on. And I think that there's so many things that are going to not only stick around um, post COVID, but they're, they're improvements really on the way things are done. I think that a lot of retailers are working on less hours. Um, They're, they're not, you know, going crazy working 12 hour days, uh, 16 hour days, like so many of them um, that do. And, and, you know, they're kind of realizing that all of these changes were for the best. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, yeah, I think it's, I think a lot of things are greater coming out of it. Absolutely, I agree with you. But um, I think the other thing that happened was the perception or, or the attitude towards marketing um, changed within the within the industry. That, um, as you know, the the industry has always had this sort of passive approach to to marketing, and you know, relying on on a De Beers, um, you know, generic marketing campaign, or, or to really get the word out about diamonds. I think that the COVID experience has sort of forced everyone to take a more a broader marketing approach to their sales strategy. And so is that something that you've observed, you know, the, the Natural Diamond Council is obviously responsible for creating those, um, those category marketing campaigns. How, how has the landscape changed in terms of industry marketing, you know, using digital as a, as a, as a, as a gateway to engage with consumers? 
So I think that the landscape has changed. I, I wouldn't say particularly that COVID was a catalyst for the marketing change, to be honest. I think that that change was really uh, already there. Uh, I think that really the marketing aspect of how you market not just a category or, or diamonds, but, but really a lot of things has changed so drastically just in the last few years. And I think that the biggest the biggest change really is that there's more options, right? There's more advertising options than ever before. Back in, in the 90s, you know, when we had diamond category marketing, you know, I hate to say it was a lot easier, but I mean, frankly, it, it was, you know, you could, you could make a great campaign and then you do media buys on television for the, for the vast majority of the budget um, with just a handful of networks, you know, you're talking about ABC, NBC, CBS, and, and so forth. And that was, uh, that was just kind of how things were done. And you could be really impactful that way because that's how consumers were spending a lot of their time. But these days you've got literally thousands and thousands of channels uh, for for television and and movies and streaming services and you've got you know that's just for tv then you've got other types of streaming video for you know social and youtube and then you've got uh, hundreds of and of millions of websites that you can advertise on and then you and then there's pay per click i mean the options are absolutely unfathomable, fathomable. Um, and, and Ben could certainly speak to that better than I could. So I think that is really the change. So it's really about finding out what is more, most effective for the amount of money that you're spending. Uh, so TV can be important in some markets, um, you know, but it's, it's often much less bang for your buck compared to some other digital alternatives. So it's less important what mediums you're advertising on, uh, because companies are going to find out what works best for them. But when marketing diamonds, I think that the, it's important to update the way that we communicate about diamonds and the way that we market diamonds should be aspirational. It's a luxury product and they should be marketed as such. Um, you know, we need to talk about what diamonds really represent and what it means uh, when you're buying one and how special it really is. And I think that that's really the part that, that as an industry, we need to change. And it's certainly uh, part of what we're working on at the NDC. Mm, well, I, I mean, I think all these options can be can be overwhelming, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, as well. And I think the what that's um, enabled is a change in mindsets um, among consumers, that consumers are um, consuming uh, marketing in a different way, in a much more active way, you know, whereas before it would be a sort of a very passive um, intake of, uh, you know, of, an, of a TV ad that, um, that was, you know, commercial, that, you know, there was a commercial break during your favorite program. And um, today there's just a, a much more ongoing active um, a discussion between companies and their and their and their consumers and um, sam I, I would imagine that that's you know from my superficial um, observation of your of your um your company that that's really what's driving your uh, your operation um you know you you, you started you started iStrock, what was it, 12 years ago? And, um, and so, you know, what, what is the change that you've witnessed over, the, over that period of time to um, customer engagement? So um, when I started, um, I started as a, as a wholesale business, not as a private jeweler. 
and uh, I enjoyed every aspect of it. You know, I've been doing the same thing for the past. Uh, actually, this month is my 20th year um, in the trade, believe mm. it or not. I know I look like I'm 25, though. Mm. But anyway, um, you know, in the past, you know, five to six years, I, I discovered a, a new market in the sense of uh, working with Instagram. Uh, and not like others that are uh, publishing their items right now in, in, on Instagram. Um, I didn't have any plan. You know, I love when people stop me and ask me, so you had a plan to, to conquer um, uh, Instagram one day. It wasn't any plan. You know, it just happened like that. I, I, I didn't see the internet as such an important tool for me. Uh, by the way, hence why I barely have a website uh, until now. But I just, you know, enjoy the part of taking pictures and, and videos of my items that I finished for some private customers back then. And then when I just felt that this is the right thing to do, I just switched uh, 100% into only working with private customers and sort of like ditching the wholesale business. Um, the the response to, to Instagram um, and this dig- digital media uh, yeah, in the beginning uh, was was sort of like uh, laughable in, in a sense, I would say. Um, I didn't believe that uh, a customer that about to spend, you know, any amount of money starting from $10,000, $30,000 is going to end up buying uh, a piece of jewelry or a diamond through, through, uh, through website, you know, or, or an application. And when I saw it actually happening in real life, then I understood the power of it. Um, but it's, it's part of the, um, if you think about it, you know, I've been in the industry, as I said, only for 20 years, but you know, uh, a lot of people that I know and you guys know has been in trade for 40 or maybe even 50 years. And they can tell you that every time that there was, uh, any kind of a change, uh, like anything in life, it's a little bit, you know, uh, weird for people to, to take, uh, uh a different direction that, you know, when you start something and you're doing it good and the business is going well. You're not trying to pivot to to different uh, um, different streams of of money making. So for them in the beginning, and I have a lot of friends, you know, that you know, I love to take um, their advice and opinion of things that I'm doing uh, on a day to day basis, because uh, just because they've been in the trade more than I've been in the beginning, they looked at it and said, "Why are you wasting your time? You know, taking videos and pictures and and uploading into this website? They didn't even know, you know, this application didn't even know what it's called." I, for some reason, had a belief that one day people are gonna end up buying uh, pieces of jewelry through through this application called Instagram, um, and now I I can tell you how it's basically saved my life. Um, I would say that probably 90% of my sales are through Instagram. Hmm. Amazing. And I mean, that sounds like a, a very much an Instagram story. Did, did you con- did you consider other platforms um, or did you try other platforms or was it specific? Was there something about Instagram that, um, that drew you in and made you realize or, or, or predict that it would be a, a good fit for for selling diamonds and, and diamond jewelry? You know, as I said before, you know, it was a hobby of mine since I was young just to take pictures and videos, and I knew I'm good at that. Um, and I just did it for my own pleasure. And the first time that I that I upload a picture, um, it was just for myself. I didn't even know that I have a few, uh, a few tens of, of followers. And um, 
and I just, you know, it just, uh, I just hit it off in the sense of like getting more followers and getting more interest. And as, as much as, you know, more clients came over and started to actually pay me money and, you know, for me to make pieces of jewelry for them that they saw on my page, it just encouraged me to, to get more and more into that. I know that there are other platforms, but in the end of the day, uh, two things. Number one, when something is going well for you, you're just going hard on it and you are, you know, not stopping and continuing with what's uh, bringing you uh, um, a great business. So hence the reason that I continue with Instagram. And for me, it's, uh, I think it's the biggest platform there is right now in the world. I know that there are others, uh, you know, from your website, through Shopify and through, uh, believe it or not, I have a few friends that are doing great business through TikTok. Uh, I feel that I'm a little bit old for that. <laughs> although, although it's not, uh, it's not about age, but um, I don't know. I just, you know, once I found this sort of like golden goose, I decided to stay in it. I'm sure that in the next few years, we're going to have a different platform. I just don't know what it is at the moment. And for me, since it's going so well, I'm going to continue um, uh, working with Instagram. Mm. At 25 years old, I think you, even even at that age, you, <laughs> you may be too old for, for TikTok. But but um, I, I do think, you know, it does seem that, that um, the visual aspect of jewelry and, and diamonds are, are sort of custom made for for Instagram and and Ben, um, I'd like to turn to you. You know, when you when you're working with a, a range of clients that you that you do, is is Instagram the right platform for everyone, or are some companies and some people personalities better suited to other uh, other platforms um, that are that are maybe not yeah. as ready made for for um, for for jewelry such as uh, such as um, Sam described. Yeah, I would say when we look at the jewelry industry, I'd say that Instagram is an appropriate platform for, for nearly everybody that's out there. That said, I think there's a, a big shift that's changing that we'll see over the next 12 to 18 months. And what we're seeing is that because of more of this sort of democratization of media and smaller platforms and things of that nature, when we'd speak at conferences, everyone would be like, oh, you just told us 500 things. What do we need to focus on? And I'd always say, you know what? Don't worry about them all. Focus on one or two things and just do those, go really deep in those. But what's happening and we're starting to see is the opportunity cost of not being present and having this sort of omnichannel presence across a bunch of different areas that are relevant to your business. You're actually starting to lose money through the opportunity cost of not being present in these other platforms is actually higher than what you gain of trying to do this just one or two things like really, really well. Because as we start seeing people in the consumer market start to adopt more platforms, whether it's podcasts, websites, blogs, influencers, social media, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, TikTok, um, Clubhouse, you name it, right? As we start to see more and more consumers diversify their consumption of media across multiple platforms, well, now instead of getting 80% of their content from Instagram, they may be only getting 10% of their content there. So if you're investing 100% of your efforts into one platform, you're really only going to get a 10% ROI potentially from that versus diversifying across and adding a lot of other executions on there, getting your blog going, getting a YouTube channel going, getting your website going, your email marketing, text marketing, all of these different pieces, right? The opportunity cost there is so great now that we need to diversify our approach and really take that true quote unquote omni-channel approach to find your greatest growth and success. And I think that's what a lot of businesses and a lot of our clients that are seeing 
really, really multiple, like, mul- like multiplying um, in terms of their growth uh, and revenue. That's where they're seeing that come from is we're starting to diversify across channels and really diversify strategies um, versus before we were very much proponents of, hey, find this one or two thing, just pound that and get 100% of the market in there. Um, but now it's really the strategies have to shift to see the, the next stage of growth. So yeah, Ben, Ben, that's uh, that's very interesting. But uh, but as we said, it can be kind of overwhelming for for companies, especially those starting off in their digital journey. You know, so when you when you meet with a with a client, what is the starting point for a company? What does that discussion look look like? You know, what are the questions that a diamond and jewelry company should be asking itself as they venture out on their digital journey? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's three series of questions. So one is who are you? Two is where are you? And three is where are your customers, right? And I think we always start back to your business goals. And before we talk marketing and advertising strategy and social and all that, we're always back to what are your business goals, right? And then what is your brand? So building that real brand behind and the messaging and all of that, because that's the ammunition that you put through all of the these distribution channels with social TV, print, radio, whatever channel it may be. So we always start with what are their business goals? How do we tie a marketing strategy and a brand and and the messaging to those business goals? And then we start looking at, okay, where's your audience? Who are the customers you're trying to to target? Who are the customers you're trying to reach? Right? Who's your current customer base? And then we start looking at what platforms you want to use, what platforms are most relevant, and then grow from there, right? It's not all of a sudden we start with every platform, every content creation, all of that. It, it starts really saying, okay, look, where are the people that are the biggest concentration of your customers? How do we create a strategy for that? And then how do we start diversifying that across everything else? Um, but brand strategy, business strategy, creating a really strong messaging platform first. And then the rest is really the technical pieces of saying, okay, what channels do we want to distribute it across? Does that make sense? Yeah, that, I think that's such an important message because, and I think I, I'm I'm guilty of it myself. You know, as a journalist, I um, often just feel like I need to I need to tweet, I need to put something on LinkedIn, <laughs> and you just kind of just vomited out onto these platforms without thinking, you know, what what is the overall what is my overall brand? And the goal is always movement, right? You want them to do something next. So if I'm putting out, say you're putting something as a journalist, if you're trying to put something on on Twitter, well, the goal, because it's a short thing, is trying to click on something next. And then once they're on your blog or on whatever news site that you posted that on, now you want them to read the article. Well, the article, you took time to write that because you want some sort of call to action. They either want them to think differently, feel differently, or act differently. Well, once they've read your article, now you want them to go and do something, right? Change their mind, change their behaviors, or change their their actions in some way. And so it's the same thing with marketing and advertising in the jewelry industry. Once we put that post out there, that ad, we want them to visit something or do something or set up an appointment or call us or whatever that is. So if we don't have a strategy for action and the plan for what we want the consumer to do next, then it's just empty words on a page or a virtual page, if you will. Mm. Um, and I think the the one message that I um, that I'm getting, or one of the messages that I'm getting from you, um, which may also overwhelm a jewelry company, is that content is king. So you know, a jewelry company might come to you and say, you know, I've got I'm a jeweler, I um, you know I make jewelry and I sell jewelry, but you're asking me to be a, a content provider, um, and um, w- which is really the name of the game. 
um, you know, the, today is to, you know, for, you, you want that company to have to almost be on autopilot and, and have part of its in-house operations, you know, this content generation um, that's uploading and, and, and keeping that movement going um, on these various platforms. Yeah. If you're not in the content game, your business is going to be short-lived in the future because it's just the space that we're playing in. It's the era that you live in and the era and the environment that your business operates in. It is a content first uh, business strategy and business world we live in. And, and Grant, I mean, that, that that was clearly the approach of the Natural Diamond Council when, you know, when when the the organization had a major rebrand um, and it's effectively relaunched in in June last year. It seems to have made this shift to being a content provider rather than the sort of um, pseudo advertising agency for the industry. Yes. So. As of June, you're right. We we have rebranded ourselves, relaunched ourselves into becoming a high frequency content publisher, um, and you know we generate consumer facing content every single day, um, and we do that because you know it's obviously it's that's what's important. Just as Ben said, that you have to be a content publisher these days, and you know the technology has afforded us the chance to do much more than create you know, and air TV commercials through the content we can, we create and push out digitally. We can create all new interest in diamonds and fine jewelry with, with consumers. And, you know, it's not just the tech, but it's change. It's the changing world. It's like the world is changing and that's changing how consumers are interacting with it. And that's why the content is so important. And so if you go to our website and you've seen what we're doing on our social channels and everything, the idea there is really just to create engagement among consumers. And the more consumers we engage with our content, our content is designed to get them interested about fine jewelry and diamonds. And, you know, we've been really successful with that since June. Um, But it's certainly not easy. It's a huge shift from just being somebody or being a company that creates advertising campaigns. Uh, But to, you know, I've said this to, to retailers a thousand times. I've never heard a retailer that regretted investing money in creating and and pushing out uh, digital content and social media. You know, everybody that I know in the industry and I talk to retailers every single day that has made that jump to either hiring a consultant, hiring a company, you know, like Ben's um, or hiring uh, in-house people that, you know, everybody who's made that jump has seen the benefit of it. And, and we certainly are at the natural diamond council because I, you know, our, the engagement and the, the time spent on our website is just completely unbelievable. Uh, we're, you know, uh, I think I'm right in saying we're, we're uh, maybe the number one uh, website for fine jewelry worldwide now. Um, and that's just since our, our launch in June. So it's, it's really incredible. You know, we, we started as kind of wanting to, be the architectural digest of the fine jewelry world. Mm. And, you know, and that's kind of, you know, that's certainly, you know, we have been quite successful and we'll continue uh, to, to do that. And certainly, I mean, it's definitely evident, you know, the shift to being really a publishing company or, or organization. Um, but I think it's still fair to say that it's on behalf of the industry, on behalf of the trade. And so is the Natural Diamond Council then a, a resource for jewelers and diamond tears who don't have, um, who aren't able to p- 
produce their own content? Um, you know, is, there, is that a resource that they can tap into as they embrace digital and, and, and sort of custom make it uh, in, onto their own platform? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, we've talked about this a little bit already, but luckily these days, jewelers don't need much of a push to know how important digital is. Um, but, you know, we communicate that importance, you know, to retailers and to other people in the trade via a lot of different touch points, whether it's our webinars or, or we do, you know, trainings and retailer meetings and events and so forth. Um, but we're also there, as you said, for retailers as a resource. And we, you know, that's a huge part of my job as the trade director at the NDC is working directly with those retailers and just helping them in, in whatever way that I can. Uh, and I'm saying that really broadly because I, I mean it broadly. You know, I, I want to encourage retailers to reach out to myself or the NDC for, you know, a range of different um issues and, and whether or not it's something that I can actually help with, I certainly hope that I can point you in the right direction. You know, that's, I, I, I do want to be a resource for retailers. Mm. And um, well, I, I hope that um, the broader trade, and it's not only in the, in the United States, which, uh, or North America, which I think is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that's, that's sort of your um, jurisdiction. Correct. I work mostly in North America, um, mostly with North American retailers, but but we're everywhere. We have a fantastic uh, office uh, in India. We have a fantastic office in Shanghai uh, servicing the China market, which, of course, those three markets combined make up the vast majority of the industry. And we're growing our presence right now in Europe as well. Uh, we're doing some amazing things in the UK and France and Germany specifically. Um, and again, that'll continue to grow. And we we as you said, I, I want to be a resource for retailers. Um, that's a little bit more of my specialty because that's my background. Um, but I, we also work with all aspects of the trade, whether it's diamantaires or trade organizations. Um, and, you know, we collaborate and, and work together on a lot of things. And, and I think, you know, one of our goals in this um, podcast series is to demonstrate not only the importance of, um, of digital engagement and technology, and uh, and to showcase the central role that it plays in our lives, but but to also demonstrate how how accessible it is, you know, from what it, from from various aspects of the trades involvement with um with technology, and and I think the NDC is is one of those platforms that um that does make it easier for for companies. Yeah, Sam. Sam, I'd like to turn to you, and and you know, just to change the subject a little bit, um, but to return to a point that you you made um, earlier that you were you were kind of surprised at um, when you first started selling jewelry on you know through Instagram that there was um, that people were willing to spend money on uh, on on a relatively high ticket item um, like jewelry online. You know, it, it begs the question because so much of the of the in, of the industry is built on trust, and um, and I think many would argue that uh, that that it's difficult to build that trust online. How do you um, build that trust through digital channels, and um, that enables a customer to gain confidence to spend money without meeting the person behind the behind the diamond? This is such a great question. Uh, I've been asked this question many times, and and I think it's a very smart question uh, because I've been asking myself until today, every day, 
how do people trust me and, and wire me 50, 100, half a million dollar or even over a million dollar without even seeing me once in real life? And in most cases, believe it or not, they're not even calling me. They don't even hear my voice. It's all over, you know, a DM over an Instagram or we're moving to a text message or to WhatsApp. Um, it's, it's, still, it's still shocking to me, to be honest. Like, I know I'm a trustworthy guy and I know I'm not going to, you know, fail anyone. But at the same time, it's still to this day. Actually, last night I came home and I told myself, this guy doesn't know me. Why this guy from San Francisco just wired me $78,000? <laughs> you know, he can, uh, he can take a 45 minutes flight and come over and see me in real life to see if I'm actually existing, you know, and if I'm actually a real person and I really have those diamonds I'm about to uh, set for him and send it over in a month after I finish the ring. But I feel like, you know, um, it's coming in two stages. The first stage when I started, it was, it was genuinely um, just showing the diamonds, the loose stones, and then the pieces of jewelry that I finished for clients. And I think that started to build trust of people seeing, you know, the loose stone. And then when I finished the, the actual piece of jewelry. And I think the big part of it, you know, throughout the same process is when people follow you, they don't follow you for a day. And the next day they wire you $100,000. They follow you for a certain time. You know, for some people, it's a few months. And for some people, it's a few years that have been following me. And the trust has been built in their own mind to the sense that, you know, um, they feel like they know me. They feel like I'm one of their friends. And that's what I'm trying to, to achieve, you know, this familiarity of, oh, Sam, yeah, he's my buddy. I have my jewelry in LA, you know, this is Sam. Uh, and it happened to, to be in a few cases, you know, when I travel around the world or I'm going to all kind of, you know, major cities that just on the street, people will stop me and be like, hold on, I follow you. You're from Ice Rock, right? So, uh, Kind of like, you know, this, uh, you know, since I live in LA, I can uh, act like a celebrity, although I'm not. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of fun in a sense. Um, and also funny sometimes when people, you know, ask to take a picture of me, etc. But I get it. I, I think that that was the first uh, stage. And then two other m very important things happened. The first thing is that Instagram introduced uh, stories. Once stories came into play, uh, I would say, I think like three years ago or so, in the beginning, I didn't want to use it because I'm like, what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to put stories and, and show people what I do throughout the day. And then when I gain confidence of showing, you know, that I'm working out and where I live and what I do and where I travel to and where are my friends, et cetera, et cetera, it came to the point where, you know, through stories, people really feel that you are sharing your life with them 100% and they can trust you. They can see who you are as a person and everything is open. Um, sometimes it's too much when people are sharing too much and I'm trying not to share uh, too much. Um, but at the same time, you, wanna, you want to make the client, the potential client, very comfortable of sending you those sums of, of amount of money. Uh, so that's the second stage. Part of the second stage was also that if you look at my Instagram until today, you know, I never deleted any of my posts since day one. And if you scroll all the way down, you'll see that in the first two years, I would say, I never put even one picture of myself. And, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you can be the biggest model in the world or the biggest actor or actress. You always have a question about, do I look good enough? Should I post this picture of myself? Would, what people are going to say or not? 
and it took me it took me two two years or so to post my first picture and and I'll tell you a funny thing about that. I remember that right before I posted this picture, <laughs> I was afraid of the comments. Um, so what I've done, I post this picture, it was midnight and I turned off my phone and I went to sleep. <laughs> and when I woke up in the morning, I saw like, you know, a lot of likes and people commenting and, oh, it's finally you. Now we can see the face behind, you know, the product and who you are as a person. Uh, it was right before, um, stories was introduced and then it hit me and I understood that not only I have to show my face once in a while, it's a must. And I started this, you know, funny, um, you know, I have a very bad sense of humor, but I really enjoy it. Uh, so I have this, you know, thing that I do that every Friday before the weekend, I'll post a picture of myself and I'll hashtag it, you know, Friday pick. And the reason that I'm doing that is mainly because if you think about that, every person that have an access to the internet, which is, I don't know how many billions of people, probably five billion uh, people around the world can literally go to Google images and download all the beautiful diamonds and, um, and jewelry that are in the world and just open a page and call it any name that they want and just post and say, I just finished making this one. I just finished making that one. You can never know if it's really them or not. Right? So how do you create this familiarity and this trust by showing who you are, showing your face, you know, I'm giving a lot of, uh, um, a lot of, uh, um, uh, I would say examples and, uh, uh, and help to my competitors, but it's fine. <laughs> Basically, you should build trust by showing who you are as a person. Some people will like you or, and that, and some people wouldn't, and it's totally fine. But the people that will like you as a person, will like you as their jeweler and will trust to wire you those sums of amount. And that's how it works. That's how it works. Mm. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. Um, and I think your journey um, is interesting in that um, you kind of let the product speak for itself, uh, you know, for, for a long time initially, but at some point people do, uh, people do want to see the personality be, behind it. And, and I think it's the analogy to a, to a physical store, you know, your, your community jeweler is, is, an, is an appropriate one as well because people, people trust their jeweler, you know, and, 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 and a big part of that trust is seeing who they are and, um, and having that, that um, personal connection with them. And, and I think, um, I think that, that posting, showing who you are as as Ben said, it's it sort of enhances the ba- the brand. It's part of the brand. You know, the brand is is both the product and the person behind the product. Um, so it's very interesting. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, before we wrap up, um, I, I have two questions that I'd like to hear from each of you on, um, and and we can keep our answers very short, um, because I know we are a bit tight on time. But the, the first one is, um, you know, is, is there a downside to the digital revolution? You know, or, or maybe a, another way to phrase it would be, you know, what, what should members of the trade be cautious about when it comes to embracing um, digital? And uh, so, Sam, maybe let's start with you. Do you have any thoughts on, on, on that? I think that, you know, everything that is going online and digital um, has some, you know, scary parts to it. Um, 
one of the most important thing that I, you know, this is in a, on a personal level, what I've decided to do um, many years ago, basically since I started, um, you know, since I'm dealing with very expensive pieces of, of jewelry and very expensive stones, um, the last thing I want to have is, you know, to be in danger, um, any sense of a danger. So I will never post my actual uh, location. And if I've been to a party or from, you know, flying somewhere or from heading somewhere, uh, I will always post that location a few hours or maybe even a day after I've been there. So that's something very important. I recommend, you know, a lot of my colleagues that are online in any kind of platform to do the same. Um, you, you're 100% exposed in, in all aspects of that. And it's very important, you know, not to put yourself in, in danger in the sense of personal danger. That's regarding that. Regarding showing what, uh, what you're doing online, I know it's a little bit, you know, off the subject, but, you know, for me, it's a very important thing. At the end of the day, uh, you have to understand that we're talking about exactly 180 degrees different than how the industry used to roll before. So this is many, many, many years before I came uh, to the trade. You're talking about a business that everything was secretive. There was nothing online. There was nothing that was revealed. You never knew, you know, none of the of the diamond jewelry companies, except maybe one in the past, you know, was uh, a public uh, company. No one knew, you know, just one of the first rule when I started, you know, in the diamond boards in Israel, there was a rule of like, you know, you don't ask people who you sell to. Uh, and, you know, uh, no one, you know, even if they sold a, a 10 karat Diflola stone, uh, they didn't like, you know, went online or uh, put a note somewhere and said, oh, I just sold a million dollar stone. It was a very, very secretive trade. Uh, and everything, as you know, is not being written down. Everything is by a shake of a hand and saying, Mazal Vraha. And it's, it's, a very, it's a very secluded, secretive trade. Now, it's exactly the opposite. And everyone, including myself sometimes, and you know, I don't have a problem admitting it, um, you want to show off. You want to show what kind of piece of jewelry you made for your best clients. Uh, you want to show the biggest stones there are around there. Uh, Grant is doing the same when he's posting. You know, you want to post the biggest and the most luxurious uh, items to attract more and more people to see that post and to follow you, and eventually, you know, end up buying from you. So, as as everything, online is great. Sometimes it can bite you. You know, where uh, you have to be very cautious. Mm. It's a it's a great point that um, with the uh, with this online revolution, the um, the traders had to become more transparent, um, and that's uh, and and that's also against its kind of historical nature. Um, ben, do you have any thoughts on on um, on what we should be cautious about with regards to digital? Well, I think. The cautious piece is that, especially right now in the environment that we're in, I think a lot of people are rushing to paint technology platforms and companies and social media and stuff as a, as a negative thing or as a inherently bad or as um, a problem. But it's just a tool. It's just a platform. And so I think we have to be careful of understanding we are the keepers of the brand. We are keepers of um, the integrity of the content that we put into that platform. 
So brands are starting to have a new level of responsibility with the content that they share, the content that they create, um, the content that they support. Uh, things of that nature. And so I think that as businesses using in businesses operating in this environment and in this era of digital and sort of democratized media, we have to be more uh, conscious of what we're creating, how we're creating it, how we're sharing it, et cetera, et cetera. There's a new level of responsibility that businesses have in the content that they create. That said, I think there's also a new level of work and investment and things that it takes that a lot of businesses just aren't going to commit to. And I think, unfortunately, this is going to be a big um, divide between those that have a long-term future and those that don't based on their ability to adapt and evolve and invest into the future of their business through, through digital platforms and things of that nature. Right. And I think it's, it's sad, but it's, 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 it, we're getting to the point where it's culminating to a true divide of those that will make it and those that won't. Mm, interesting. Um, Grant, do you have anything to add on that, um, on this topic? Sure. You know, when we talk about downsides, I would say, first of all, don't think about downsides specifically because, you know, it's happening. So it's, it's not, you know, and this revolution is not, it's not going anywhere. So it's just, it's our job in the trade to just adapt and to be able to continue to be successful. But, you know, if we're talking about what to be cautious about, then there certainly is a lot. And I'll, you know, I'll say it really simply, you know, don't have your, a uh, 19 year old part-time employee start, you know, paying them a budget to boost on Instagram or Facebook. And like, that's your, that's where you're putting your money, you know, because it's really, really easy. And Ben can probably like shout this to the rafters, I imagine, but <laughs> it's, so, it's so easy to just completely throw away your money yeah. on digital yeah. and, and it just to absolutely go down the drain. So I can, I can't stress it enough. It is absolutely worth, you know, paying somebody who really knows what they're doing and, and really investing in it. You can't kind of have one foot in the door and one foot out the door. You really got to make the decision that this is somewhere that you want to invest. And this is where you want to sp spend some time and grow. And, um, it's worth, you know, in the same way that you invest in training and having really good sales associates, because, you're not going to have a business otherwise. Uh, you know, you have to do the same when it comes to marketing, in my opinion. It's mm, a great message because uh, I think there is that, um, you know, certainly five years ago, there was that um, feeling that it's, uh, you know, we can get the, get the boss's daughter to, to handle the Instagram account, <laughs> you know, but it's a real job today and it's, and it's very time consuming as well. Um, and, and, and you, and you certainly, um, you know that's that your one's digital strategy um is is so central to to your overall overall um business um business strategy um so thank you for 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 sharing that all of you um my fi my second final question and and if we can maybe keep this to one or two sentences if possible what tech developments are you excited for you know, well, what is the one thing that uh, that we should look out for in 2021 that uh, that you're expecting to be a real um, trend for um, you know both in terms of of the tech industry and uh, and its uh, impact on the on the diamond and jewelry industry? Grant, maybe let's let's start with you on that, if you don't mind. I would say that by you know by the end of middle end of the year, you know, a lot of the big companies out there, you know, your Louis Vuittons and, and so forth, the big, you know, amazing brands that have just created these amazing, you know, brands that, that people all over the world love. I think that 
I'm really excited to see what those companies do with these like improvements in like a virtual retail experience or augmented reality. Um, I think that by the, you know, the middle end of the year, they would have now sort of had time, like several months since the pandemic began to really put some time into, into doing something cool there. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be. I know that's a pretty broad answer, but I think that some, some cool things are going to come out of it. And we're going to see that from some of these really big, uh, impressive brands. Mm, that, that is um, exciting and somewhat scary as well, I think. But, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's certainly something to look forward to. Sam, what are, what are your predictions for, for 2021? I think that um, we are going to see, you know, just, uh, and I see it happening already, you know, the sort of like the revolution of, of Instagram in general. Uh, I'm talking about our trade. If, if you look back, probably, I don't know, uh, I would say two years ago and even a year ago, I would say that just uh, um, probably 100 companies around the world had an Instagram account. Uh, today, you can be uh, a hole in the wall, a jewelry, stone, a jewelry store in the middle of nowhere or just a one-man show, and you have an Instagram page. And it's very important for you, you know, to put your time and money and energy into that. I think that Instagram is going to, you know, pay, uh, um, continue paying a, uh, a very big role uh, in our trade specifically. Uh, as general, you know, different platforms, I'm not really using them. I don't know uh, how it's going to work. I can tell you that um, one of my friends that is in the trade, but is not doing diamonds per se, has started his TikTok account, Okay. And he, believe it or not, and I couldn't even believe it, started his TikTok account just a month and a half ago. <laughs> and his videos are, you know, and I told him that I'm not talking behind his back, although I'm not going to mention his name, of course, uh, are very boring. But at the same time, something happened literally a week ago, last weekend, not, yeah, like about 10 days ago, that he posted a very weird slash, you know, cool video. And that video <laughs> hit in a matter of 48 hours, 1.5 million views. Gosh. And, and within, within a week, he went from about 45 followers on TikTok to hundreds of thousands. And he tells me that the amount of business that he's doing through TikTok is staggering. So what I think I'm going to do is that once... <laughs> Once I'm feeling I'm finishing this podcast with you guys, I'm I'm opening my uh, TikTok account and I'm gonna do some silly dance, and then we'll see we'll again in about uh, a week or so, and we'll see how much I will have. And we'll 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 put the the link to that video <laughs> in, the, in the show notes. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> okay. Look forward to it. Um, uh, ben, uh, we'll give you the last word. What are you um foreseeing for 2021? Yeah, I think we're part of it. It's voice. I think that when you look at what audio is, whether it's um, voice search or voice audio content, so things that are coming about with Clubhouse, then like this is really interesting. Um, the newest app that's out there that's that's really uh, starting to grow in popularity. Um, that's audio based. Uh, when you look at podcasts, there's a resurgence still growing on and going on in, in the growth of podcasts. When you look at Amazon Alexa, Google Home, um, Siri. The adaptation and advancement of voice and audio is going to be the, the next big wave. It is the next big wave. And so I think 
um, we have to change the way that we look at it um, as a business. People search differently on vo- voice. People consume content differently when it's audio only. So I think what we're doing right now, uh, we're part of the next wave of, of great content consumption, great content um, and technology when it comes to this podcast right here. Well, uh, it's very encouraging for me. So <laughs> thank you for that. And uh, But I agree. And and as a consumer of podcasts, of numerous podcasts that um, that serve that fill my day and my and my in my morning runs, etc. I um I, I think I would agree with you that um voice is is a, a strong trend that's um going to find new avenues. I think so. It's it's very exciting. All of it's very exciting. I think I think the industry has a lot to look forward to, um in in all aspects of its techn- technology journey. Um, so I want to thank um, you all, Ben, Grant, and Sam, for joining us and um, shedding some light on on uh, on what that means for the the diamond and jewelry industry. It was very enjoyable for me, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for great. And we look forward to continuing the discussion in uh, upcoming podcasts. And um, and thank you everyone for joining us. And we'll see you soon. Um, so God bless everyone.